they're very important to people in Ireland. They, the all the native Irish breeds got national heritage culture status yeah. last year, so they're all protected by the government, which is you know wonderful as being an integral part of the um, heritage. I'm all my interest pretty much came from a historical point of view, so mm-hmm. uh, that was a big part of my becoming interested in the clans in the first place. Awesome. Well, um, my name is Teresa Nesbitt. I'm a retired uh, high-risk OB obstetrician, uh, and I guess you could say semi-retired. So these days I do teaching a variety of topics like seminars. So I am delivering baby, uh, delivering advice instead of babies. Uh, from And obviously with a big background in human reproductive medicine, uh, I am interested reproductively and also um, because my subspecialty field and a lot of genetics background, I actually did uh, have a specific interest in the glens as being an oddity in the dog world as a uh, dwarf. A giant dwarf would be the best way to describe them. <laughs> but uh, I, um, I didn't seek them out because they were a giant dwarf. I have had uh, dogs and horses for my whole life, many, many different breeds, most of which I never chose for myself. They were always um, behavior problems or somebody died or got divorced and it's been common for me even as the oldest of five children I had dogs from a really early age and um, never have been without dogs so about 10 years ago I had uh, I moved from Virginia to the Midwest and I had three dogs over the age of 15 and it became evident at that time I might actually be able to choose a dog for the first time in my life so that was in the back of my mind and because of the more recent dogs that we had had uh, I was definitely interested in less shedding and less barking like the Shetland sheepdogs that I'd had but I had lots of different many 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 different breeds and mixed breeds so I did what a lot of people do now. I kind of did internet quizzes and things like this, and it kept coming up, um, Glen of a Mall Terrier, which even though I was living and working in Ireland, I had no idea what it is. They're not common in Ireland either. Um, and once that started, it just, you know, it, I guess it gets on your radar, mm-hmm. and then I saw, you know, heard of the Glen of Amalter, and then within a couple weeks, I was in Ireland in Greystones, and I saw this dog uh, sitting up doing, you know, what we call the Glen sit, and I said, oh my god, I think that might be a Glen of Amalter, and I went up, and it was a Glen of Amalter, and I talked to uh, the gentleman, whose name is Nick White, and he eventually became my breeder and the source of where I got my dogs from. But it was all like a weird amount of luck and coincidence and getting to choose and then ending up with this dog 
that uh, not that wasn't the one that I ended up with because they weren't really breeding at the time. I went back to the States and went to go look for a puppy. And I ended up getting an older puppy um, from uh, Ohio. And But I hadn't forgotten about seeing Homer. Homer changed my life. Homer is on extremely famous in Ireland. He's on TV and he was on postage stamp. And, <laughs> and, uh, after I got my first, uh, this first Glenn, um, Shaunaki, she's, um, we thought maybe it would be good for her to have some company. So that's when I went back to Ireland and we ended up getting second Glenn, who was Oscar, who's been sort of the impetus to what made me one become a breeder because I was probably, uh, you know, one of those people who was, because I did so much with sort of rescue dogs and things like that. If someone had said I would ever pay for a dog or, um, especially breed, breed a dog, I would say you've lost your mind, (laughs) but I did, I did become really interested in, the purpose bred dogs instead of kind of the idea of purebred dogs is purpose bred dogs is that you know people in looking at these histories people devoted huge amounts of their time and lives towards helping these dogs become different from each other or and breed type so that they and then they are very very predictable and when I got my first Glenn it it just wasn't like any other dog I've had and I've had herding dogs sporting dogs and working dogs and terriers mixed breeds and Glens were just they were just uh really uh different and then I kind of started looking into the Irish native Irish breeds altogether so I became I think just not really knowing where I was going and then looking back a preservation breeder which means sort of keeping the idea of why people bred this kind of dog mm-hmm. or predictability. They don't have to do the same job that they did, but I began to see people could, people were making decisions about adding a dog to their life that would be with them longer than most marriages last. And they often choose a dog the way, like it's like, speed dating or going to a bar like mm-hmm. who are you attracted to so I, I i i became interested in the glens and preservation breeding hand in hand with each other mm-hmm. well history of um terriers as um is checkered all over so when i when i um started to look into the history of the glens what really interested me was the history of the Irish dogs in general. So a lot of times people will contact me um, wanting a Glen and they will say, you know, I love terriers. But the first thing I say is, well, Glens are in the terrier group at a dog show and they certainly have some terrier in them. But knowing Glens and the other Irish terriers is really no, means knowing more about the history of dogs in Ireland than about sort of dogs in general. So um, not everyone in Ireland could own 
dogs and Irish people were not allowed to uh, own um, dogs that were sporting dogs and being so close to the UK and at the time that these laws came about the sporting dogs and the terriers and things like that were you know basically dogs owned by the gentry uh, and used for sport and sport hunting and um, the uh, you know hounds and things like this so you couldn't really own a you couldn't own a dog that was over 19 inches tall or it would be that was only for property owning gentry people in Ireland mm-hmm. um, wolfhounds had even stricter requirements of who was allowed to own them and they were sort of the nobility dogs so you have the nobility dogs and you have the gun dogs which are the sporting dogs that are native Irish breed and then you have the four native Irish terrier breeds which are the Kerry blue terrier the soft coated Wheaton terrier the Irish terrier so the blonde the brunette and the redhead and then the dwarf giant scruff mutton muffin glen of them all terrier that uh, the Glen of Mall in County Wicklow, for people who don't know, it's a weird name, so people can't pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And I say it's Glen, like the Danny Boy song, from Glen to Glen, which is, you know, basically a valley between mountains. And then Imal, I-M-A-A-L, is pronounced like, where would you get one? Well, you would get one at a mall if they ever sold them there, which they don't, but it's pronounced the, sort of the same way. Mm-hmm. So um, the Glen of the Mall currently is where they carry out artillery testing and things like that because it's really kind of like an island within an island within an island. So the idea we have of dogs right now is, you know, dogs everywhere, especially in America, all over the place and, and uh People are mobile, and there's all these breeds. But uh, the thing that I heard about Glen of the Mall Terrier was that they were a turnspit dog. And a turnspit is a labor-saving device that looks like a hamster wheel. And you put a dog on it that would run and turn a large roast um in front of an open fire, which was a very British way of cooking big cuts of meat, especially like in inns and things like that. But that's not what was going on in Ireland, particularly in the Glen of the Mall. It was poor. There wasn't a large cut of meat there. There were no inns or things like that. And it's very likely that, you know, the idea of a turnspit dog is really a description of a dog that's longer than tall or a short-legged dog. Mm-hmm. A dwarf, that's a corgi, which means actually dwarf dog. Cor, cur, is dwarf. And the, uh, they looked different. They were common in the UK, um, including Wales, especially where there's a stuffed example of one left. And so it was any largish medium-sized dog anyway not a small dog with short legs would could run on this wheel but i think that saying um the glen of a mall terrier was is really you know is a turnspit dog it's one not a turnspit dog or related to the dogs that were described as turnspit dogs 
which they were in literature is really just describing a dog that's longer than tall with turned out feet. But lots of the dogs at that time that have what we call wraparound front, the crooked legs, the short crooked legs, they have turned out feet to balance it. So over time, we took these dogs that you can see in paintings, like dachshunds, that have turned out feet, Scottish terriers, and things like dandy denmons and things. They have these short bandy legs, you know, crooked, wrap around the chest. The chest is falls below the elbow of the dog, and the legs curve inward towards the middle to balance out the dog. And that's what a turnspit dog would have been. But that's any short-legged dog. And the short-legged dogs from before, many of which were terriers, um, had they all had turned out feet because it helps balance the top of the dog. Um, uh, it helps balance the dog over their feet. Uh, and then as we bred dogs to look, you know, more fancy or correct or things, that turnout was, it gave them more straight legs and so what a lot of times people will just say about blends is they're a very, they're an ancient breed. They have features that you'd see on those old paintings. They're rosed ear, which is an ear that you can kind of, it folds back on itself and you can see a little bit of the inside with it. It's very expressive and it's very mobile and uh, it. The turnspit idea is um, a little bit romanticized. There certainly were turnspit dogs, but probably to relate them to Glenn's isn't really helpful to understand Glenn's anyway. I, I think what's helpful to understand Glenn's as far as form versus function is to understand a dog that could pull a European badger out of a badger set. Um, and understand what badger hunting was all about because it helps you understand both the looks and the personality of the Glens because there's no other dog that would be built to be able to do this the way the Glens do. I have Dachshunds as well, and Dachshund is German for badger dog. And I used to think that a badger was described, you know, when you said badger, that word was how the badger behaved. But I've learned that badger is actually what the dogs do to the badger, which is they nip at it and chase it. And badgers are great diggers underground, but the dogs don't need to really dig much to get a badger because they live in these series of tunnels and chambers that are pretty big. Human being can crawl into them and they go down and they, uh, prevent the badger from digging away and they try and get the badger to run out of the badger set where they could be bagged or trapped or killed by a human being uh, for being a vermin or varmint and you know eating chickens and things like that mm -hmm. or the glen does something which was described which is they actually draw the badger which means they would go in and they would uh, they would bite a badger and then back up out of the set with the badger, holding on to the badger, which describes a dog that is a very powerful and heavy dog. That's the biggest misconception about Glens. They're not small at all, and they're very powerful. 
So we're looking at dogs that range from about 35 to 50 pounds. So they're as big as a soft-coated Wheaton or a Kerry Blue Terrier, but just a lot shorter because there's more muscle, more bone, very powerful. And they have a unique feature of what we call as a rising top line. So their rear quarters are a little bit higher up. But I prefer to think of it as the front of them is actually more of a digging front. And their feet sort of turn outward and they swipe dirt to the side, the same way a badger would dig. So they're particularly good at making a hole bigger rather than to dig the hole in the first place because then the dirt goes out the out the back. And this is a, a, a big dog that has uh, uh, cheeky jaws, big, big uh, jaws like um, the bully breeds we see in the state with, um, as opposed to most terriers are going to, and other vermin killing dogs have flat cheeks. So if you were to rub the side of their face, that you don't really feel muscle on the side of their face. And the way that they would dispatch a vermin is to, like, they call it the snap and shake. So they would bite them and shake their head, and that would break the neck of a, you know, um, a fox or a rat or weasel or whatever that they would be hunting that way. But the glens have uh, up and down more crush bite with those big, strong muscles like that. And that would give them a different kind of bite, a bite and hold bite. So once their teeth clamp down, they can hold them and not, then they're not going to let go. So it's a, the dogs, um, the terriers in Ireland are much more all around dogs. They just had to be smaller than basically that 19 inch cutoff. And so we see that really, there are no native breed dogs that are small. There's no toy dogs. The lightest dog that's native to Ireland is the Irish Terrier, which is still like 18 inches tall. It's a long-legged dog. And the shortest dog in Ireland is a Glen of a Mall Terrier, which if you go to pick one up, you would no one would ever, ever, ever call a small dog. They're um, a medium-sized dog on short legs. And actually, because of their dwarfism, they're sort of a giant dog on short legs. So it's considered to have maximum substance for size, very powerful, but they're also extremely intelligent. And that comes from that influence of uh, the molosaur kind of uh, primitive type of dogs that is the ancestors of like mastiffs and rottweilers and things like that, the working dogs. So they have a different personality than a traditional terrier and uh, they're way more communicative and interested I think in people but like all the rest of the Irish breeds uh, the farm dogs they're more all-arounders than strict purpose-bred dogs the Kerry Blues and um, soft-coated Wheatons they can participate in herding trials but they are not allowed to participate in working terrier trials because they really don't go to ground terrier terrar means earth they're not earth dogs they they don't you know crawl around underneath of the ground that's for those smaller british type terriers that you know dig and go in after things under the underground the akc standard 
just like all standards is, um, you know, it's uh, a bit, I, I tell people, it's like there's there's this, mostly it's contributed to Indian culture, of the story of like um, the elephant and the blind man, right? So they have seven blind men that are feeling an elephant and describing it. And the one that feels the ear, so the elephant looks like a fan. And the one that feels like, feels the tail, so the elephant's like a rope. And the one that's on the sides, is elephant's like a wall. So, you know, they it doesn't, it, it's subject to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you go to a dog show, that's what the judge is going to be using that written standard. Uh, to have their impression and it's an interpretation of that some standards are more specific than others but they're all subject to the interpretation of the reader and the Glenn doesn't fit really well in the carrier group per se so we, we, we we're a we're I think a like a work in progress so to speak so you have this dog that is very powerful they are not to be over-groomed and fancied up. The terriers, because of their harsh coats and things like that, many of them have a styled look um, that's new. So a Dandy Den Monster, they have a very particular look, and Sealy Hams and Wirecoat Fox Terriers and Scotties with their eyebrows and miniature schnauzers. That, that uh, in dog show world, the grooming which is to accentuate features of the dog have become an important part of understanding the dog because you're setting off that sort of thing and a big difference right away is terriers most terriers are going to have um smaller eyes that are almond shaped or elliptical shaped or or even squinty varminty so the idea is like if they were underground then the uh you know, you're not going to get dirt in them as much. It's a more, and, and then that look of a, of a, of a squinty eyed dog has a more sort of fiery and ferocious look. As soon as you look at their expression, well, Glenn's don't have that expression. They have large roundish eyes that many people would describe their expression as soulful in Ireland with the standard there, the, the expression, they ooze personality, the, being able to see a little bit of white around this roundish eye, and especially in a communicative dog, they use their eyebrows very effectively, is you have a sense almost like that you're communicating with a person. So a human brain looks at the face of a dog like this, and our brain responds to all these facial features that we're used to in human beings instead. So the Glens, one, are good communicators, but they also have a face that's built for interest and communication and because they have that little bit of white we notice what they're noticing and they move their eyebrows around which you know can make them look whimsical and uh stern or eager or comical you know it's like television you know so they're, they're endlessly entertaining to me um and they can't speak words but especially some of my girls, I think they think they are speaking words because they'll make this series of all these sounds. And I think to them, that's what it sounds like we're doing. So they're like, no, well, <laughs> you know, they, they talk. I mean, they, they're, these vocalizations follow a pattern that sounds like, 
talking. So I think what they hear, they think, you know, they obviously can't understand English or, you know, a language per se, but they can certainly understand inflection and the idea of conversation and that people pay attention to you when you're, they're talking. So they definitely have something to say. And a lot of times people will say is, you know, I know like they're terriers, so they're stubborn. For me personally, I don't feel like the Glens are stubborn. I just feel like they're very opinionated. And they often have opinions about, strong opinions, and um, maybe opinions about things that they don't need to have an opinion about. So I find them to be sort of quintessentially Irish because they like to argue (laughs) for the sake of arguing. And that would be their opinionated. So generally go, what do you do when they're so stubborn? And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't think of them stubborn. I think of them as opinionated. And I say, okay, I heard you, but we're not going to do it that way. Because if you don't hear them, they keep trying to tell you in different sorts of ways. And that's where a lot of times the behavior goes from experienced dog people, not, I'm not talking about training or obedience, but people who kind kind of understand behaviors and watch dogs is they don't even think about it and they're responding to a lot of this behavior and they communicate back to the dog. So the dog's not aware that they're communicating. The people who love the Glens, they're not necessarily aware that they're communicating and there's this sense of, uh, you know, that they're very easy and they're so smart and all of these things. But if the interpretation is they're stubborn and you try and fight them, then people find them to be incredibly manipulative, strong-willed, stubborn, combative during um, adolescence uh, because you can't be harsh with them, but you can also can't just keep backing off from whenever they inch up on you because you know, the old saying is like, if you give them an inch, then they take a mile. Well, a Glen, if you give them an inch, they take two inches, but eventually they get to a mile by creeping up. And, you know, I go into households and it's like, oh, they're wonderful. They're the best dogs we've ever had. And I'm like, yeah, they completely run this household. There's no problems whatsoever because you do everything, you know, all life revolves around what the Glens want. You know, they like what they like and and as long as it's accommodated, everybody's happy. So you don't necessarily need to change that. But it's a hard to have a puppy that's so um, intuitive and so intelligent and stares at your face with this human look and, and you know, expression that is eager to be with you and come when they're called and things like that. And then you they reach adolescence and um, they are not small anymore. They are now an incredibly large, powerful dog that is turned into an adolescent. And all mammals and adolescents are genetically pre-programmed to basically, now they have to become an adult. And so the first thing they do is start testing boundaries and balking. So, you know, I would say for an adolescent, Glenn, for sure, is if they could only say one sentence, it would be, yeah, well, you can't make me. (laughs) So they'll test that over and over. So... You know, just like with a human toddler or teenager, the best success comes with people who don't allow themselves to get too flustered or engaged in this and offer them, you know, basically set up the environment. So what the Glenn decides is going to be something that's 
acceptable. But they love a battle. So if you throw down, you're going to get a battle. And uh, the standard would say, over and over, it says game or dead game. And I say dead game is incredibly important because it addresses what the prey drive is in the Glen. But the end explanation from this is Glens aren't inclined to pick fights, but they will never back off from one. So they, um, being such a powerful dog and with these huge jaws and teeth, and they make a sound like they're roaring, you know, so the, uh, the, um, people get very nervous. The dogs look like they're going to tear everything to pieces and they certainly have the potential to be able to do that. So they, what happens is they're on a leash or something. They really haven't been trained them. So they are pulling and there's no basis of behavior because this dog was always doing exactly what you wanted. It came as a puppy acting like it was already trained and that people they're embarrassed and they panic and they try and pull the dog back and fight and the dogs wriggling around and they become very hyper vigilant, start looking for other dogs. And, um, they said, well, the standard says is they don't look for a fight, but they're naturally very good guard dog, not an attack dog. So they're, we've set up a situation where the Glens feel like they're protecting their person who's obviously scared out of their wits the glens doesn't know that they're scared because they think their glen's going to tear somebody's dog apart or something you know or pull them over or embarrass them so they glens can't tell that they just know that their person that's handling them is scared and so the glens start to become at that point they can become very hyper vigilant so there's definitely ways of working around this but it's a dog that looks like a stuffed animal but they really require someone who has pretty good dog sense because when you hit that adolescence, it's a very big, powerful dog that is physically quite strong and very opinionated, like a teenager. Like, they just think they're right about everything at that point. And if you haven't established some ground rules and boundaries, it's a tough year and a half or so to get, you know, to get through. Okay, so I look basically for a two, so I'm a preservation breeder, so I look for um, preserving what I think is sort of the original intent of the dogs, and that would be their, their, their intelligence and their communicativeness that can make them a more challenging dog, but also makes them a unique dog that is, there's just nothing else like them. So I don't want to lose that kind of temperament, even though it might be challenging for some people. Um, and that they, uh, they're very companionable, but uh, I don't want to lose these traditional features. I don't want them to be prettied up. I don't want them to lose substance. Again, it's a maximum a substance for size. So this is a loaded ground dog, but you know, my glens have the old fashioned look to them. Their forearms are about as big as my foot, you know, the area above their wrist, a male dog, that's the size of the glens. Their heads are big as a human. They're, they have this big head and little tiny ears and uh, that soulful expression. I don't want to lose any of that. I don't like, um, 
but but at the end of the day, I breed preservation, meaning I'm trying to save genes for the future and things like that to be able to maintain the breed or to go back if we develop health problems to make sure that there's semen that's stored of some of these more old-fashioned dogs that we could, you know, maybe go back to as we start to understand. It's generally a very healthy breed, but once you start, uh, any breed starts to become more common and be bred, health problems are going to crop up, and um, it would be good to know that we could go back to some of the older things and maybe get away from some of those health problems. That being said, my absolute two things that I breed for in every litter is temperament and coat. So if, if I may for a second talk a little bit about aggression mm-hmm. and prey drive, because people will say, are they aggressive or are they dog aggressive? Well, I mentioned before is how a Glen can become very dog reactive. So it looks all the same to people, like the dog is lunging and charging, or they, at that point, what has happened is they have perceived something to be a threat and they are going to respond to a threat. And when we look at dogs, what um, prey drive, or they call it predatory drive, or uh, there's a lot of names for it, but it's a it's a well-known function in biology. There's these things called fixed action patterns or fixed modal patterns. And basically what it is is a description of a behavior that has a number of steps to it that once it's initiated – tends to go to completion Mm -hmm. so um a good example would be a squirrel does not ever need to see another squirrel crack open a nut to know how uh to do it so it's an instinct but it's not a single thing like a reflex and it's something that can get better with practice or diminished so the predatory drive in any carnivore which all dogs would be you know, they're in that carnivora, so that they would have to hunt is to have something that would be what we call like a stimulus. So they might see a movement like a sight or the hounds, you know, they smell something and that is going to initiate the prey drive, which then involves, uh, they would say, you know, stimulus, which is sight or smell. And then that activates chase or in the herding dogs, that might be stalk, like you would see in the big cat. So to chase, stalk, the pursuit after that, then it's catch, kill, eat. And basically when you look at all purebred dogs, over time is it's all been about manipulating this series of behaviors to make some stronger or weaker than others. So sporting dogs and things like that, herding dogs – You'd really want them to be very active on the chase part, but then you wouldn't want them to ever go after, you know, you don't want them to kill the sheep or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So you would have made them, the last part, be very dampened down. And a terrier would be, a big part of their job is to get rid of all these vermin environments so they have strong prey drive. And we call it strong prey drive in terriers not because it's stronger, but because it goes to completion, because you could also say some of the strongest prey drive would be like a bloodhound or a beagle, because their desire to pursue what they smell sort of obliterates everything else. And that is still the prey drive, even though the end part of it 
is dampened down. And that's what has happened with um, purpose-bred dogs is it's been playing around with the temperaments to do different things with this prey drive sequence. Whereas I'd say Glenn's have a pretty strong prey drive all the way across one, two, three, four, five. And to uh, manage a Glenn, uh, I have my own little story because you saw me like, I'm redheaded, and my nickname when I was a kid was Sparky, and I lost my temper pretty, <laughs> but I was pretty quick on the trigger to lose it. And all the time people would say, you have to control your temper. You have to control your temper, Teresa. And I never have learned to control my temper. And it helped me a lot with the dogs because I realized with the Glens is it's not a matter of controlling the temper because once the temper is lost, mm-hmm. eh, the horse is out of the barn, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So what, what I needed to do for myself is what I help people to understand when they're training their Glen is it's a matter of socializing the dogs to not feel provoked or threatened. They just have to learn to in that, you know, to check in and then realize that these things are of no consequence or not their business. And then you don't ever go to one. Because once you go to one, it's going to go one, two, three, four, five. So you have this uh, opportunity where the prey drive is not like a beagle catching a scent, where you don't have, you know, zero to one happens in a flicker. So with the Glen, you have a little more time, like I did with my, my temper. And so I learned to control my temper by learning that, you know, Basically, not all things are worth being provoked over. And what people, you know, as a kid especially, is it's funny to watch someone lose their temper like that. So I was very easily provoked. So you just learn is like, don't be so easily provoked. That's trainable. But stopping it once it starts, that's a lot harder. And that's what I encourage people to do with their glens is to teach impulse control and things like that in a puppy mm-hmm. so that, you know, as they get older, your glens are like, yeah, that doesn't matter so much. I don't need to be paying attention to that. So they have this lazy component to their behavior. So I definitely say encourage, you know, it's like that's not worth your attention and and encouraging them to check in a lot, like to look to you, like, mm-hmm. is this OK? And you say, yep, this is we don't need to worry about that. And I've got this. So that they don't feel that they need to protect you. Um, my Glens are very good. You know, they're good guard dogs, so they can protect the property or whatever, like alert me that people have come on. I don't mind that at all. Um, but I just want them to let me know. I don't need them to do anything about it, and I don't want them to do anything about it. Uh, so, you know, rather than get into the problem of discouraging bad behavior, I think it's a lot smarter with the Glen is to be aware of your environment and avoid having to deal with the bad behavior, you know, in at all. Mm-hmm. So I like that. That's the temperament I like. Not a uh, excitable, uh, um, hyper vigilant. You know, I'm looking for this steadier temperament. But a lot of times, people look and they would go, "I'm looking for a terrier that's not so terror like." Well, they aren't terrier-like, but they aren't necessarily easy. And there's a reason why terriers are small, because they were big and had that quick trigger 
feistiness and things like that, they'd be a lot more problems have to, you know, to for people to be able to deal with. Then you're talking about a 15-pound dog instead of a 35, 40-pound dog. Mm-hmm. That is a huge difference in terms of our ability to control um, uh, sort of what we would call aggressive behavior. So prey drive is it's instinctive. It's not really trainable. So again, is the what you do is you have environmental awareness and you set things up, you socialize your dogs so that their prey drive isn't activated because it's very difficult to deal with once it's, you know, once it's, uh, once your dog decides that another dog is a threat, they're going to try very hard to go after them and they could hurt them very badly. Mm-hmm. They don't go after people, but they do go after dogs. Mm-hmm. The coat is awesome. And so when I say I breed for that is, you know, when dogs start to go to dog shows and things, we have all these products and things. So mm-hmm. you can fake a coat, but all the Glens have a, what's called a double coat. So they have this, uh, it's sort of waterproof. It doesn't mat. They're very easy to groom. They're very few people are allergic to it. And once the mature coat comes in, so puppies have a little bit fuzzier of a coat, but the mature coat, this double coat with the, the sort of um, harshly textured or crisp outer coat, it's pretty water resistant. And the other amazing thing is they don't really have a doggy smell, especially after having had hounds and sporting dogs. They have a real doggy smell to mm-hmm. them. So, you know, if you have your Labrador sleep in your bedroom, it smells like Labrador, like, or in the car, like mm-hmm. wet dog. Like the dachshunds have less smell than some of the hound dogs. I like otter hounds. They have a very strong doggy. What people call it is it's a doggy smell. So Glens just don't really have much of a smell. So I can have like five of them in the bed and mm-hmm. you would never know there's been a dog in the room. Right. They, they can smell like if they're gotten into something right away, but then I go, God, I am going to need to bathe you, I guess. And then you like brush them up to get ready for the bath and then they just don't smell anymore. So I had heard in Ireland a bunch is that you don't need to, um, they don't ever bathe their dogs. And I have a 12 year old that he's had one bath in his whole life. And that was because he was at an extremely big dog show and he got an upset stomach. And basically for the only time they ever had this is like, he, he was covered in, very foul smell. <laughs> he had to get to the ring at eight o'clock literally throwing buckets of water on him uh, to get him ready to go to the ring because he just, you know, you brush out some of the old dead hair and things like this. And he just, he, he doesn't, uh, it, it, it's a, just an awesome coat and um, it, it, they don't shed. So I'd had all these dogs, you know, the, golden retrievers sheltie like everywhere you go that you know even the smooth coated like the labs and things they have the 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 white hairs or whatever that are you know everywhere Mm -hmm. so the glens they don't shed you have to hand strip them but they're also much easier to pluck out the dead hair than say like many of the other stripped breeds like the cairns and the westies and the airedales and welsh and things like that they you have to pull pretty hard on that hair the glen hair rakes out pretty easily so you can 
spend a few minutes on them every week like I do to kind of keep them all in shape or you can like do it like twice a year just pull all the hair down and let them you know they get a kind of a we say you know take them down to their underpants or whatever and then they grow out a new bushier coat but the uh they don't they are pretty they're not no maintenance but they are pretty low maintenance only if they have the really good coat and we have a tendency in our breed that people have let the coat go this is really common across the board because at a dog show they can use product and things like that so um i think that that's a big reason why terriers which were really popular have become much less popular as dogs is you know who wants to spend all that money and time just to you know to have to pay somebody to keep up with them you like to think you could just you know comb them through and as again they're not no maintenance but they are relatively low maintenance Mm -hmm. and they do need to be stripped they can't be clippered if you clipper them it's like running a lawnmower over weeds it leaves the root in and they get itchies and things like that and then the hair is very soft because the end is cut and it's porous so you need to pull it out by the root like you do the weeds and the patch and then the new harsh hair the new hard hair grows in on top and um what the wire hair like this which would also be like the dachshunds are you know basically the hair wouldn't catch on things so if you're in a hedgerow or things like that which is basically a briar patch or brambles is the the dogs go through that and you'll see glens a lot of times they see shrubbery and things and they love to rub their body all over it mine like to go underneath the car to scratch their back and it will basically pull the you know things catch on it and the hair pulls out pretty easily so Mm -hmm. they will find ways to self-strip to some extent if you don't strip them so um they like to engage in those behaviors and their hair wouldn't have gotten caught on anything it wouldn't impede them if they were underground or in a hedgerow which is not underground but you know it's a briar patch so Mm -hmm. they can get through that and not get hurt right and is there a big difference between the dogs the glens that you see in ireland and then the say the glens in north america um, well, I, as I said, I'm still a member, I'm a member of the Irish Kennel Club uh-huh. and very interested in native Irish breeds. So my desire is to um, not engage in the, what, you know, I think in any breed club, we're, we're always in this sort of big fish and small pond kind of things. But mm-hmm. the way I look at it is I fell in love with the dogs that I fell in love with. I have a very good idea of what I want to be breeding and I just breed that's the way that you know you go to a dog show to have an outsider an objective opinion of the quality of your breeding stock but a lot of people would like to talk about what i think is the style of the dogs Mm -hmm. instead of the breed type of the dogs and i'm like yeah well you have your style and you can say that it's better and you know there's going to be people who like it better and i encourage that people breeders choose whatever style that they want but my style is very Irish. I like that antique, old-fashioned looking and acting dog. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, old-fashioned is what makes Glens special. They're not like other dogs, unrefined to this day, antique features. We're talking about dogs that should look like throwbacks. And I have friends and things like that that will refer to them as they, they call them like dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Like They just, I like 
So I also feel that there's this tremendous push to modernize, especially in America, is like, yeah, but wouldn't it be better if they were? And I just feel like that's a big rush to the generic. And that's fine, whoever wants to do it. But that's not, I'm not doing it to win or rush to the generic or make it more appealing to other people or prettier. I'm like, uh, this is the dogs I fell in love with. I only breed a limited amount. I'm interested in preserving that. And if I fell in love with it, then there's probably other people who, you know, that's what we're looking for. And so it's it's okay with me. I like that craggy look. I don't want a fancy dog. And I don't want to, uh, but they're very charming looking. I, I just like what I fell in love with in the first place. And then there's the standard. I take the dogs that I breed to the dog shows and the, the judges look at them and things like that. And if they fit that what they think that the standard says, then I get a nice ribbon and I haven't been doing this for very long and I've gotten lots and lots and lots of nice ribbons. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, uh, with detractors as you come as like, uh, it's hard to play both sides. Um, but it's possible, but I'm not changing my dogs to win a better ribbon. I just try and breed better dogs and help you know just bring nice examples to the ring i tell everybody who gets one of my glens is sorry you're part of the mission i don't sell dogs this is breed preservation and your dog is an ambassador Mm -hmm. so they have to go out and they have to be seen if they're you know good quality you go out so that people can come and see them where else would they see them? I don't want to send them to people's houses and things like that. So we go to the dog shows and then people can come and come over and talk to us and say, these are, this is Glen of them all terriers. Put your hands on them. People are very mistaken. They think they're small dogs. They're not small dogs. Mm-hmm. And they say, they, I want a Glen because I want something 